You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. This morning, we wrap up a three-week series on forgiveness. Um, Reminder, if you miss a message because... I build puzzles and messages, it seems, and one links to another, and so they kind of, most of them are interconnected, that you can find the, the video on our archive, gatewayfranklin.com, along with uh, the stripped out message in an audio podcast, and then the notes, everything that's a slide is a note, and that's included on the website as well. Those get posted like on Wednesday. There's a replay of Sunday at five. Now you can always look on Facebook and search um, up until Wednesday to find what's there. What I realized when I looked back over the, um, over the uh, archive uh, this week that I'm not very good at giving sermons titles. Um, s- s- uh, le- uh, sermon one in this series uh, on, the, on the archive says it's labeled forgiveness. And um, number two is labeled forgiveness. And so what... <laughs> But I realized, though, I'm actually much better giving a sermon a title after I preach it than before. So here, here are a couple titles for you to insert. Week one was the beginning of forgiveness, have the conversation. Week two was don't get trapped, put down the fence. And this one's, not, this one's pretty close for week three. is forgiveness frees through door number three. Forgiveness frees through door number three. Forgiveness is the central theme of the gospel. It is the heart. No other writing addresses forgiveness like the Bible. No other resource or philosophy approaches life and forgiveness like the Bible. A lot of times I'll take in a message and I'll sum up the gospel. And in this, I'll sum up the gospel in this frame of forgiveness. One, we are freely offered forgiveness of sins through the grace of Christ. It's offered to us. We humbly receive that forgiveness through repentance. Repentance is a word we don't don't use a lot today because to use the word repentance is an indication. It's a self-incriminating word, right? It's a word that says that I'm going in the wrong direction, made the wrong choices, living for the wrong things. But there's no way to receive the forgiveness of God without a recognition that you actually need forgiveness. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, just logically, that I'm not gonna receive something or look for something if I don't know I need it. But once I recognize that there's a need there, repentance becomes the doorway to receive the free gift of forgiveness through Christ. And then we are spiritually healed through that forgiveness. It, it, is, it is a supernatural thing of what takes place inside of our life. We're born with one nature, and we act and respond out of that nature. But with repentance and forgiveness, God does the things that you and I can't do. We, we can do external things. We can make choices and do external things. But God is the only one who does the internal work. And, and there is some rewiring, and, and if, you, if you're in the, you know, more tech, it, there's some recoding that has to take place in our life when we come to Christ. It doesn't all happen 
right away. The forgiveness piece and the relationship piece between God, that is healed and put back together. And then, and then we walk out as he rewrites and recodes, heals, reconditions us. And then we enthusiastically carry this message of forgiveness through the power of the Holy Spirit. We become Christ's argument, his representative, his ambassador for the power of the forgiveness model that he puts forward. Our lives do. We become that argument. Um, the closer that you remain to that forgiveness moment, the closer we remain to Christ, the fresher our relationship is, and the more spiritually influential we will be. The more distance you get from the need and what God has done for us forgiveness, then the more stale we become spiritually, and the less spiritually influential we will become in someone's life. Because we begin, and this is, it happens. It happens. Some, we start out this way, I'm a pretty good guy. That's kind of how it all starts. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. And then there becomes this realization of a need for Christ and forgiveness. And then we come to him and we're made new. But it doesn't take really much long to start going, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty good girl. And in fact, what we are is we're forgiven. And that transformation is taking place internally, working its way externally. And the more we can stay in tune with that God is the one doing all this, the more spiritually influential and the fresh, more fresh we become. Now, the most natural applications of our first two weeks' messages around forgiveness were for the people around us, the people closest to us. That's, that, that was the probably the best application pieces for those two, for first two messages. But biblical forgiveness draws a wider circle of interest and influence. The message of forgiveness is for everyone, especially those who are opposed to everything the Bible stands for. Forgiveness is for everyone, especially for those who are against everything the Bible stands for. Christ, Christianity, and Christians have always been in the crosshairs of history. You might not believe that, but this is historically true. We're not living in a unique time and space. And while Christianity in America has held the, the majority religious position or even cultural sway, it's never held the majority faith position. Do you know what the, 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 the most dominant faith position in our country and worldwide forever has been? A faith on me. Never Christ. Yes. Has it had cultural sway, especially in America for a while? Yes. But it's never had the majority faith position ever. So we've gone from living in my lifetime somewhat a favorable view of Christianity. That's transitioned to having no view of Christianity and in our current setting, an openly opposing view of, of Christianity. Um, it has seemingly been a slow burn, but it has quickly turned into a dumpster fire. And we only have, it seems, presented before us two ways, two doors to engage our culture that we live in. The first one, fight. The second one, flight. These seem to be the only two viable options, that we will bow up against the cultural tide and movement and we will fight against it, 
or we will bury our head in the sand and just hope it blows over. How many of you know it's not going to blow over? Okay? So, so fight, and I think what you choose in your approach is been more probably linked to your personality than it is to anything else. Some of you are fighters. Raise your hand if you're a fighter. You're a fighter. All right? So it really doesn't matter what the, the topic or color is. You want to fight. Right? How about you, you would rather keep your head down and stay out of the gunfire? Hands. Yeah. And then the rest of you, I'm not sure which camp you land in because you didn't want to... You didn't, I'm an introvert slash extrovert. In the Myers-Briggs, I'm kind of on the borderline. If I need to be an introvert, or, which is, you know, I, I can. If I need to be an extrovert on Sunday mornings, then I can, right? I can go back and forth. But these seemingly be, are the only two doors, but I believe there's a third door, and this is the door that I think we're called to. And this is uh, John 17. This is on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night he would be arrested, um, this is part of his teaching bulk around uh, that last time with his disciples. John 17 is a, is a series of prayers, and we come to this one. It's a prayer for us, his disciples, and us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I want you to notice he doesn't say, I pray that, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the world. Right? So when he says protect them from the evil one, he's saying that which is behind all the chaos disrupting in our world. Okay? Protect them from that evil force behind the things that we see. So they are not of the world. They're not of the same substance, even as I am not of the same substance of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. The general summary of this verse from believers is that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. It's not inaccurate. What they're saying here in that summation is that when we come to Christ, our nature is changed. And although our position in, in the world doesn't change, we've changed. The inward nature has been exchanged for a God nature. But I think a better um, better stated, it would be this, that we are saved from the world, sanctified by the word, and sent into the world. Now, sanctified is a churchy word. It's a theological word, right? I mean, it means to be set apart, to be cleansed and set apart. Christ on the cross set himself apart for us. That's why he said that he was sanctified. And then, then we are sanctified. We get set apart by the word. It's the word gets inside of us and begins rewriting and recoding all of us. The first come to forgiveness, there is something that happens that you can't, you can't really explain that, that this, this sin nature, this old me gets exchanged for a new me inside, a new me that, that, is, that is Christ in me. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in me that is the hope of glory. But it doesn't stop there. Because then the word then is provided for us to show us a direction and empower us. And the word isn't just instructions. It's not just go here and do that, right? That's not real leadership, right? You go up a store, you're looking for something, and then someone points to aisle number six. That's not leadership, right? Because I've been on aisle six for the last 30 minutes, and I still can't find what I'm looking for on aisle six, right? So I need someone to lead me to aisle six. I need you to lead me to the bay. I need you to lead me to the shelf, and I can find what we want. So the word isn't just blase instructions that somehow we have to figure it out and sometimes we miss out pieces and whatever. It is, it is the power, it's power unto our salvation and into our transformation. 
And the more I learn, the more I experience Christ through his word, the more my code gets rewritten. And now I'm being sent into the world carrying this message of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the message of the gospel. We are the person in which God is making his appeal. He's making it through us as those who've been forgiven. So here is at least the first half of door number three. I'm gonna add a caveat to it here near near the end of the message. But door number three for our cultural engagement is to be on mission with the message of forgiveness. To be on mission with the message of forgiveness. This is how we are to engage the culture that we live in. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 out of the message version. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him like that anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with Christ gets a what? A fresh start is created new. Listen, it's not a mulligan. You know, you don't get a mulligan in golf as you get an opportunity to hit that shot again. The problem with the mulligan in golf is the same person is swinging at the ball. Right? So it's the same swing, it's just a different ball. And sometimes Bubba plays better, but other times it hits it in the very same place. With Christ, it isn't we get a chance to do this all over again to make the same mistakes with the same kind of tools. It's, it's we're fresh and get a fresh start. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. Look at it, look at it. All this comes from God who settled the, relation to, the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. This is for everyone. But everything feels upside down right now, doesn't it? I mean, literally, to me, this world feels upside down. That what was right is now wrong, what was wrong is now right, and the wronger it sounds, the righter it is, the righter it sounds. The So here are just some definitions that we're working against because when culture changes, it has to change language. Do you understand that, how that works historically? Language language changes so then culture can change. Tolerance used to mean room for differing opinions. Now tolerance means to stay silent if you hold to a differing, differing opinion or philosophy than the prevailing culture. Inclusiveness used to mean drawing a bigger relational circle. Now inclusiveness means accept everyone by altering your convictions. 
Equality used to mean equal opportunity. Equality has given way to equity, meaning equal outcomes. Equal outcomes are dependent on manipulation and the jettison of a meritocracy. It's interesting to me how the culture has now turned that word into a bad word, meritocracy. So here's what it means. It means what you work for, then you earn merit, something based on merit. Now, have you noticed that standards are diminishing? They're not raising. So standards have to be lowered in the current um, climate of equality. Justice used to mean righting a wrong. This is a justice book. You guys understand this? This is a justice book. It's grace and truth, but it's a justice book. It tells us to do justice. All right? Now, though, justice means inflicting punitive damage to the alleged person or system responsible for the wrong. To stand for sanctity of life is now to stand against women. Upside down world. And I agree that the headwinds against the message of Christ are strong or intimidating. But take note that Jesus was born into and walked out his mission of forgiveness and we already got that slide up there? I want you to look at this. When Jesus was born, he was into an antichrist, pluralistic religious context. How do you say antichrist? Because they weren't for Christ. <laughs> right? So they were antichrist, and it was a religiously plural environment, which means Christianity wouldn't be a big deal adding one more religion to a whole line of religions. The issue with Christianity and Christ is he claimed that he was the way. So it is the exclusiveness of the message of Christianity that becomes the issue and why it's pushed out. All right? So the, a religiously plural context. All right? And he, was, he went, walked into a pagan social context. Pagan meaning then they're not allow any kind of God to dictate how they would act or do. Meaning then we become the judge of ourselves. All right? We're, and so we are a hedonistic, we're a hedonistic social context. It means we want to please ourselves. All right? Jesus was born into that. And then a secular political context secular political context. A lot, of, a, lot of, um, a lot of governmental structures came out of the city-state model of, of Rome. All right? there, yes, Christianity carried this moral, moral anchoring that's led through societies. That, that morality didn't come from a Greco-Roman philosophy. That came from a Judeo-Christian philosophy. Right? It made, the morality of it made sense. But once you start jettisoning God from morality, then you have morality without any kind of mooring, which means the morality will shift further and further in one direction based on what a populace holds to. And generally, the populace will not hold themselves to any kind of accountability. You understand this? Culturally, as a, as a big group, we're not going to hold ourselves to any standard that is restrictive because that's against our personal freedoms and mindsets. But Jesus was born into that exact same context. I know that we want to believe that Christianity is a majority or, and we just kind of want to get back to the good old days, and that, but there weren't any. There weren't any when 
the majority held Christ as, as king. But I will say this, that before too long, what you find, we find it in society, history after, uh, historically after historical count after historical count, when you remove God out of um, this anchoring position, it, society will implode on itself. It will keep going, 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 and then splat, because it can't support it. It, it. The philosophy doesn't support it. And so then it changes. Listen, someone in between services, they gave me, they screenshotted me, a person they follow on social media that he said lives in the area. Um, so this is really, really sketchy here. He just said, you know, um, Navy SEAL, you know, warrior, that kind of thing. And, and so here's a little thread here. He says, I no longer recognize the world around me. All my morals, all my values, and everything I stand for is currently being or has already been destroyed. It's as if I no longer belong here. Next one he posts, I've been trying to make sense of all that is happening in my country and in the world, only to conclude there's no sense to be made. The absurdness has led me to find Christ. Here I am. Last post. Today, today, I began reading the Bible, something I've never done. I believe this is the only truth left here on earth. Maybe the only truth there ever was. Everything else has turned, out, turned to nothing but deception and lies, all of it. So you follow, you follow this pattern out long enough, it implodes on itself. But, the, but what did Jesus, how does Jesus approach this world? One of my favorite passages of scripture is John chapter one, verse 14. This one's out of the NIV. It says, the word became flesh and blood and made his, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the, his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. All right, grace. Jesus came offering a freedom that couldn't be earned, obtained, or won. That's grace. Truth. Jesus came as a confronting revelation, exposing the lies that consistently lead to disappointment and death. This is where lies lead. They will always lead to disappointment and death. I prayed with a woman in my office the Monday after Easter Sunday, and she came to speak to me. And I said, well, what was it about Sunday that resonated with you? And she said, when you said, why do we keep living, looking for life in dead places? Which was the revelation the angel gives to, to the women who came to the tomb. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen just as he said he would. Truth confronts, and Jesus confronted people with what the truth was, that he, they're always only going to be found, life found in him. Max Locato said it this way, Jesus offers truth gracefully and grace truthfully. And I add to that, he offers himself as the gate to the forgiveness of life. Grace is not excusing something. And truth is not pounding you with something. Walking in grace and truth is exactly how Locato says it. We offer truth graciously, but we offer grace truthfully. So here is the true, the, the, at least the best way I could fall out this door of how we approach our current culture with forgiveness is door number three is be on mission 
with the message of forgiveness face to face, full of grace and truth. The, the message says the John 1 passage is he became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood, which means he lived, worked, and played on the same streets as everybody else did, the same streets you and I work on, the same streets that we play on, the same streets that we live on. So the message of forgiveness has to be something we live as a mission, and we do that face-to-face, eye-to-eye, with grace and truth. So here was the big question as I was trying to wrestle this subject down on forgiveness is how do we effectively carry a message of forgiveness into a combative culture and who don't think they need the forgiveness of God? That, to me, that, that is the big question that sits before Christians in the church today. Did I not give you the question ever? Is there not a slide in there for a question? Amazing. All right, so here's the question again, if you're writing it down. How do we effectively carry a message of forgiveness into a combative culture and who don't think they need the forgiveness of God? Is it? Okay, there it is. All right, so I wanna give you three, I wanna give you three ways to position yourself. First is to clarify the mission. Clarify the mission. Jesus didn't come to save a culture or a country. And by the way, you're not gonna like the first, this first part, so just kinda, just stay with me, okay? So we aren't on mission to bring about a Christian utopia on earth. We are on mission to reconcile people to Christ. Now listen, I am an American. I'm a Christian who is American. I am not an American Christian. I am concerned where our country is headed, deeply. But as a follower of Christ, I'm more concerned about where the people around me are headed. See, if I'm an American Christian, I'm I'm gonna have a hard time fitting in with my Christian friends that are Romanian. But if I'm a Christian living in America, I fit in really well with my Christian friends in Romania. And my Christian friends in India, in South Africa, in Cambodia, in Uruguay, in Russia, in Jamaica, in Scotland, in Hungary. And I'm sure I'm leaving out a few, but these are the countries, Honduras, that that I've been in and worshiped in. And if you're not careful, and we're not careful now, we'll be a whole lot more American than we will church. And we'll be a whole lot more American than we will be a Christian. We are a Christian church. And we are Christians. Our church is located in America. And more specifically in Franklin, right? But that's not our defining bit. So if we're more bent on trying to make America Christian, we will get swallowed up in this current 
But if we will be on mission to carry the message of forgiveness to the people around us, now we're on to something. Clarity of mission disarms our cultural combative tendencies and empowers a grace and truth posture to those in our immediate sphere of influence. Now, a lot of blank faces at me, so at least, least give me this. Well, don't, because I don't know what you'll do. <laughs> All right, here's the second. So we got to clarify the mission, right? We're, we're, think people, not culture. Second is to drop the fence. And now I need you to really get real for a moment. So just recently, there was like a student teen takeover, I believe it was Chicago, where several hundred or more kids took to the streets in Chicago and they um, kind of routed businesses. And you get familiar with that news story? Now, you can insert your own news story, but how do you feel when you see that? Do you get angry? I believe that when we see stuff like that and it draws an, an anger up out of us, what we've done is we have, we've allowed the enemy to bait a trap that we pick up and we, we get offended by it. There's a general offense that rises up when we see stuff like that or, or whatever we see. Now, if I... So, so homie, unless you're visiting from Chicago, are you visiting from Chicago? You're just from Chicago. Okay, you're here now. So just embrace it. All right. <laughs> then we were, we're, gonna, we're picking up somebody else's offense here. And culturally, in general, of things that's gone on since COVID, we're picking up cultural offense. All right, so if I pick up a cultural offense of where I'm living and I encounter you guys, I encounter you through this lens, the fence, and it distorts what you look like. I have, I have intentionally picked something up and put it between us. Does this make sense? And if you hold on too long enough, then, I, then it distorts how I see God and how I connect with God. So when we pick up cultural offenses, of and listen, I mean, I, I, I can get offended and, and fight like the best of them. And when I do, it blocks everything else going on in my life. So, I mean, I, I avoid it, so I won't watch the news or I'll turn off the soul. But I can't live like that. I can't sustain that of not watching any news. I can't. But when I pick up those offenses, when I look at big picture items, it impacts how I interact with people around me. And this is a problem. This changes how I carry the forgiveness model of Christ. Can I really carry a forgiveness model of Christ to the people that God puts in my circle if I am carrying cultural offenses? Jesus was amazing. He was able to He was able to differentiate, differentiate the people who pushed agendas and who peop, who, the people who bought in and was led astray by agendas. Now, he did this on a religious note. 
He constantly had negative and hard things to say about Pharisees because they were to be the leaders of the people. And he said, you're leading them in the wrong direction. And so, so he, had, he had issue with those leaders that he didn't necessarily pick up with the people. Um, I said that he, he could differentiate between the agenda pushers and the agenda buyers. And I think we need to be doing the same thing. Um, to reach people around us, we have to drop our fences or we won't be able to see people as clearly as Jesus saw people. All right, so how did Jesus see people? Here's some passages out of the Gospels. Here's Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, truth, of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds and he had compassion on he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Grace. He saw the masses and what they were doing, and he saw them as harassed, he saw them as helpless, and then sheep without a shepherd. Sheep notoriously are not bright animals at all. So a sheep will keep their head down and eat everything in sight until everything in sight's gone and then we'll pick their heads up and go, well, where's the next meal coming from? You know, Psalm 23, there's a reason why the passage reads, and he will lead, he will lead me by still waters because a sheep's thirsty, he go near water and it could be moving and he gets in the moving water and gets saturated with the moving water and drowns. Now, it, it's always humorous to make fun of sheep and their dumbness until we realize it is one of the main metaphors for you and I in Scripture. <laughs> so, so when Jesus sees, when he sees the crowd... He sees what's going on internally and why all this churn is inside of them. They don't have a shepherd. Without a shepherd, they have no protection against all the forces of nature going against them in those moments. And he sees them with compassion. It is difficult to see a crowd with compassion. And yet Jesus gives us the ability to see it because he understands they're acting the way they're acting because there is no shepherd protecting them. Luke 19, 41 through 42, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Grace, if even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And that's truth. Jesus saw their ignorance to who he was and it resulted in tears. Only two times in the New Testament we have witness of Jesus crying and this is one of them. Luke 22, 33 to 34, when they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and on the left. And Jesus said, not to them, to everyone around, to, to the looking at people around them, he said, Father, forgive them grace for they don't know what they're doing truth. Yes, people are still responsible for their actions. I understand this, but offended people don't forgive. They fight or they flight. Forgiven, forgiven people have compassion to weep and forgive. 
And we can only extend grace and truth when we drop our fences and see people as clearly as Jesus did. Clarify the mission. Drop the fence. Here's the last one. Flip the script. Flip the script. This is out of the amplified version. Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Wow. I'm only five words in. It's already offensive. (laughs) Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy. Weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, conceited, self-important, exclusive, but associate with humble people, those with a realistic self-view. Do not overestimate yourself. Never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's put that one in our kitchen. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. For it is written in scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And when we act like we're the ones sitting in judgment or that we bring the justice, we will not be able to carry a message of forgiveness. So, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for by, doing so this, but for by doing this you will heap burning coals on his head, which actually sounds really interesting, but it's not harmful. This is not the cultural context, or it wouldn't fit in the passage. Do not be overcome and conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this makes then the overcoming good is to replace curses and conflict with blessings and peace. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you and me, that when I am engaged in a instance, relationship, whatever that involves curses and conflict, for me to overcome that in Christ then there is, I, I am in to bring blessings and peace. Are we going to fight against culture? Are we going to flee what's going on in culture? Are we going to be offended that this is not the, the cultural context in which we would live? Or will we embrace that there is a mission when, 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 come on up, team. When, when Christ was born, his, uh, in a historical setting, it was called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. There was a common currency, there was a common language, there was a common road system, common economic system. All this allowed for the rapid spread of the gospel. So, was Jesus born in a random time and place? No. He was born in a to the center of the world. Interesting, when you, when you get maps made um, in Israel, so if a, if a Jewish 
um, or at least the maps that I've bought when, I've, when I was in Israel, had Israel as a center, and then the rest of the world spread up over here. Right? So center of the world, he comes to the center of the known world at a time when there was a rapid, rapid way to expand the gospel. Would he be less strategic with his church? Now, it's easy to say, or it's easy for me to say, well, that was Jesus. I'll never measure up to Jesus. On my best day, I'm just kind of, all right? So surely that I'm let off the hook of how Jesus operates. And then you get five chapters into the book of Acts and there was a man named Stephen. And Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Martyr is someone who is killed for their faith. Now, this was the first, first century martyr that we have. There have been more Christians martyred in the last 100 years than all of history up to this point. So why I would like to believe being a martyr is an, a, a thought of antiquity, no, it's a present day thing. Okay? And he gets called out for the message of Christ, for standing for Christ. And in the mob, he preaches a clear message of forgiveness through repentance in Christ alone. And the scripture says they, they gnashed, they, they, they yelled, they gnashed their teeth, they dragged him outside, they grabbed stones, and they begin throwing stones at him. He he sees the heavens open and he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man on the right hand side of God. And they go berserk. His last words was, I commit my spirit unto you and Father, forgive them for what they're doing. Where had he heard that language before? He would have heard that language. The only place he could have heard that language was on the cross. I don't want to be a martyr. If there's a line for that, I'm not signing up. But we are here in this time, born here now. When I talk to young ministerial students, I tell them that they have the biggest challenge in, 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 the, in my known time of being a pastor, 34 years. Because for years and decades, we could repeat what the pastors behind us did. You can't do that anymore. It's a whole different culture, a whole different way of thinking. Um, if, if you are 70 and up, you could have been, the message, the gospel message probably was framed to you in a position of duty. Duty. And you can respond out of duty. God, this this for you, and you do this for God. Duty. That was the framed message. For if you're my age and you're a boomer, um, it was framed in, this is the best decision you can make for you. This is your best life. Right? That's, how, that's how the message gets framed. Still working out the new frame. If you're 30, even 40, but definitely if you're 30 and younger, I don't know, I don't always know. What frame you need Christ in to see 
your need and the joy it is to find life in him. But I will tell you, no one 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 will ever have a chance if the church and as believers, we get over where we are and what's going on and get about the mission of Christ to carry a forgiveness message full of grace and truth. Ushers come. We're going to receive communion as our response today. I said early in the message that the further you are away from the moment in time that you were forgiven, the easier it is to be distanced from the emotion. The, the reason why I, I frame our, our gateway mission around Fresh Start's Great Friends Real Purpose is because I can explain a fresh start to anybody. Go ahead and start passing. I can explain a fresh start to anybody. If you're a believer, I can explain it one way. If you're not a believer, I can explain it another way. But I haven't met anybody that hasn't wanted a fresh start. Christ came to give us these things. You, you may be exploring, if you're watching online, uh, maybe catching this as an archive or maybe even in the room. In the last 40 minutes, you have heard the gospel. You haven't heard the complete gospel. I didn't, couldn't preach through all the New Testament, but you have heard enough of what the gospel contains to make a decision. A decision that I need the forgiveness of Christ and I repent and I want a new life. At Easter, we put something on the, when you go to this QR code and it takes you to a, a landing page, we put one on there for Easter that if you've prayed to receive Christ or if you want to pray and receive Christ, click it and if you want to talk to a pastor. And so Monday, I had a phone conversation with a gentleman and he wasn't in the first service, or at least he didn't introduce himself, maybe here, I won't use his name, but, he's told, but he said in there he wanted, he wanted to talk to someone, he's a dad, and wanted to talk to someone about that. So we talked through it, of what it meant to be a Christian. He said, I, I wouldn't even know how to do it. I don't know how to pray. He said, that's gonna sound like I'm a five-year-old. Well, he told, me he, he told me he had three kids, and his youngest was six, and I said, well, do you ever, do you enjoy the conversations you have with your six-year-old? He said, yeah. I said, yeah. So, so does God. So go for it. And I love hearing people pray out loud, especially people pray out loud coming to Christ because it is unfiltered, unhindered. Just here I am. And I have yet to be at any place in those prayers without them being received by God when, the, when you take these cups they represent the body and the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross you are holding your, in your hand forgiveness and the only prerequisite of receiving forgiveness is knowing we need it we repent and we receive that forgiveness of Christ People are still being served. Let's sing this course in worship and then I'll come back and administer it. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. 
Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.